to PS, the Puget Sound podcast, where I'm talking with members of our Cubist community about their Puget Sound experiences. I'm Elena Becker, and my guest today is Joel Hefty, an alum in the class of 1986. As always, the Puget Sound podcast is recorded and produced by Moonyard Studio right here in Tacoma. Here's Joel. Joel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I want to start things off by asking you to locate yourself for our listeners in in every way that feels important to you. So geographically, professionally, personally, for someone who's going to be introduced to you in our our subsequent conversation, what feels important to know right off the bat? Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm Joel Hefty. I graduated from the class of, uh, in the class of 1986 from the University of Puget Sound, and I presently live in Victoria, British Columbia. Uh, I got here by way of other places around the world, including uh, living in Belgrade, Serbia for a couple of years, uh, also in Ontario and Ottawa. But I'm really from the Midwest, from Iowa originally, and the Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. Those are important pieces of my background. And professionally, what do you do? What is your career? How do you spend the bulk of your time? Well, presently I work in the gig economy. And so I do some work full-time in brief spurts. I do work for the International Monetary Fund as a technical assistance advisor in emerging market economies. I do uh, some teaching for a... Uh, Banker Training Institute in the Middle East, and I do a lot of work that isn't paid in Victoria and occasionally in Tacoma. Right. (laughs) And when you uh, think about your career, maybe for someone who does not have an intuitive understanding or a professional understanding of the things that you just said and described, what is that work like? (laughs) Is it a lot of people work? Is it a lot of numbers work? Sure. Uh, some important background may be helpful, and that is that I started working in the banking sector uh, pretty young, even before I came to Puget Sound. Uh, after about a year out of college, I went to work for the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, and I lived and worked in the Bay Area then for 13 years. That provided an excellent foundation for working overseas. I went from being a financial sector supervisor specializing in banks and bank holding companies. And by that financial sector supervisor, I mean one who's evaluating uh, risk management and determining whether or not banks are following policy and procedure, not only their own, but those that are imposed by uh, outside authorities as well. Ensuring the safe and sound operation of the banking sector and those things that the Federal Reserve oversaw. Um, I then became a teacher of bank examiners and enjoyed that work, especially the international outreach so much that when an opportunity came to work in that field full-time, I was glad to take it. Mm. Um, So I worked in short-term and long-term assignments in a variety of places around the world. And is that what you expected to do for a career at any point? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, When I graduated from Puget Sound, uh, Phil Phibbs was the president, and Mm -hmm. he made it clear to all of us when we came in He said, you will have multiple careers in your lifetimes. That was sound advice, and it is still sound advice. Uh, We will all have a variety of careers in our lifetimes. Is it what I expected to do? Gosh, no. Uh, (laughs) But it has been quite a ride. 
out of curiosity, what did you think you would do? Uh, let's say for ease of conversation, when you graduated from college, what did you anticipate would, would be the next step? I thought a really great career would be going to work for the central bank and staying there for my entire work life. And, you know, that may have been possible, but um, I'll tell you an interesting story that I tell people. When I had an exit interview, I'd been there 13 years and I was leaving to do this other work. And I said, well, I hope that if this doesn't work out, I can come back. And the lady in HR knew me pretty well. And she said, you can always come back, Joel, but you won't. And she was right. I haven't. It was a great place to work and a great place to launch a career, to do things that I didn't know that I would do when I left Puget Sound. One of the things that's striking to me in thinking about a high school student coming to college or a college student graduating and going to their professional career is oftentimes you just don't know what you don't know. There are all kinds of opportunities or experiences, some of which will build on one another, some of which just haven't come in front of your field of vision yet until you are out in that world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely true. And the international aspect of my career, I think I would never really have anticipated until I went to work for the central bank in Mm -hmm. San Francisco and really enjoyed that. And forgive me, I use the term central bank. I should just say federal reserve because (laughs) Americans all recognize that I'm sometimes changing my terminology just to fit an international audience. But that did provide a launching pad. It, it introduced me to the challenges and exciting elements of working overseas with different cultures and providing baseline knowledge and skill sets that maybe were not as well uh, defined and implemented in their jurisdictions. And I presume gave you some of the um, nuts and bolts information and knowledge and vocabulary to then go on and do that kind of work, just an understanding of how that sort of system practically works and fits together. Yes. Um, If I understand your question correctly, my own background and how we did things in the United States then became the basis for having those conversations with emerging markets. Yes, absolutely true. Uh, With that, though, goes the skill set of how do things work here and what do they need and what are they ready for and reaching from where a country is in its development and where the central bank is in overseeing banks, it's not exactly a straight path to here you are in compliant with all of the financial, international financial standards and, and uh, expectations that those standard setting bodies have for your country. Sometimes it's more of a circuitous path to get there. First, we need to build this and then we'll build the next thing. And then you'll have the skill set to make the next move. So um, it's interesting work. There's a lot of uh, assessment and evaluation of where each client is in their own development. Well, and I'm actually curious about that too, in terms of the um, amount of preparation that you have to do prior to ever really, quote unquote, doing anything. I imagine that it's very hard to ever really do the same thing twice in this kind of work. That's one of the exciting parts about it is yeah. even though we're providing some of the same skill sets, we do it in very different ways depending on where we're working. And so can you walk me through either a real example or even sort of a, a fictitious example example? When you first square up to a country where you're going to do this work, 
what are the kinds of questions that you ask? What are the kinds of things you look for to determine even a starting point? Sure. Um, working for uh, larger organizations, there are frequently a number of people who've been on the ground for a long time before I ever set foot there. Uh, so there's often a lot of reading to do. And then there's the assessment of what is the real story that hasn't been put in writing. That's another interesting question. And you have to assess personalities and willingness. Um, in the kind of work that I do, it is most successful when there is a senior level champion in an organization and some mid-level managers who can actually make sure that the work gets done. So um, it's an interesting combination. We would say a consultant is never more valuable than when someone asks for their opinion, rather than just having the consultant show up and say, oh, you know, I'm here to provide you with the answers. Uh, nobody's really interested in that. You'd like an imagine that's not very well received. Always. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you want an organization that wants to change and to yeah. improve. And that's where we provide the most value. And who oftentimes does the asking? Is it a, a third party like the IMF? Is it a government? Is it a private sector organization? So international financial institutions and some for whom I've worked include the International Monetary Fund. Um, the Asian Development Bank, the World Bank, and its uh, associated uh, group of companies. Um, and sometimes it's smaller. It's just the central bank itself that is uh, contracting with another party to say, we really need to build this skill set. Who do you have? Uh, so a more direct mm -hmm. relationship. Most sure. often, though, it's an international financial organization. And then what does um, doing that work actually look like? done some of the homework and the preparation? Is it a lot of meetings? Is it a lot of um, work in the digital space? Is it a, a physical thing where you're out working with individuals? It's, it's usually very much um, being physically present. So um, teaching is often a big sure. component of these things. Sometimes it's small group work. Sometimes it's one-on-one -on -one discussions. Um, those also will vary depending on the country and its own appetite for sharing information with non-professionally employed in their own uh, organization. So if information sharing is really um, limited, then it will only take place in person, ever. Digital space is uh, very important. And also um, use of translation and interpretation becomes a big factor how quickly can we move and get things done? What's the grasp of English in a particular location? I imagine linguistically, but also culturally, is there some of that component of figuring out not just what the appetite is, but how you might best meet it? Yes. And tone, uh, the way that we speak English for non-English speakers huh. changes also. The speed shifts mm -hmm. and pronunciation also becomes more more distinct. Right. Uh, you get the idea. Yeah, no, I do, but it, that would actually never have occurred to me. It should have, but until you said it, of, of course, even the tone of voice and the linguistic framing is... Uh, understanding an audience and how they, who is willing to speak also varies greatly from one culture to the next. Mm -hmm. So... Sure. As I was doing my homework to talk to you today, 
one of the things that I was struck by in thinking about my understanding of your work prior to us sitting down, mm-hmm. it seems like there's um, quite the Venn diagram of skill sets that I think many people do not intuitively place together. So we've been talking a lot about cultural competencies. Obviously, someone doing your work has to have a really high level of understanding of financial systems and world economics. I imagine the teaching component is another one of those things that is almost an entirely separate skill set. When yeah. you talk about the things that you need to do your job, what what comes to the front of mind? Sure. Um, well, in addition to the technical skill sets, and those technical skill sets were well-developed through uh, training at the Federal Reserve mm. and in a very formalized training uh, process. Other things. Um, so in addition to risk management and financial analysis and uh, evaluation of systems in a broad sense. There's also the teaching part. There's the uh, little bit of organizational development, interpersonal understanding. Uh, Probably the most critical is where intellectual curiosity and risk management come together. And that is being able to ask with very good basis, what could go wrong? Why are we doing this? Why are you asking people about this? Let me explain to you in simple terms why you need to evaluate this particular aspect of a bank. Um, So those are some of the things. Risk management, teaching, organizational development, interpersonal skills, financial analysis, intellectual curiosity. It's quite a list, isn't it? It is. You're you're rattling it off, but that's an enormous range of abilities. (laughs) Well, the intellectual curiosity, though came from Puget Sound, Mm. Uh, or I should say it was developed there. And that's one of the things for which I'm very grateful is to be able to look at a new situation where I've never been, in a place that I've never been, um, and just start to break it down. What are the analytical parts? How does this fit together? Um, Some synthesis, some evaluation, some uh, what do we do with it? Where do we get, what is achievable? And uh, what's my mandate to uh, move a group of people from one place of skill to another? Without putting words in your mouth, one of the things that was striking to me when I graduated from Puget Sound and began my professional career was this realization that as much as I had learned facts and built knowledge, an enormous part of my education had been learning just some intellectual skills and processes. How do I take all these different kinds of information of varying quality and reliability and put them together into a deliverable that will be accessible to a particular audience or maybe a variety of different audiences? That's what you do when you write a research paper. Those of us with professional careers know that is often what you do in a lot of other settings too, but I hadn't quite made the connection that that was what I was learning. Well, after I graduated and had to do it. Uh-huh. And uh, anyone that tells you that writing is not so important, you know, people will understand, don't believe it. Writing matters. It matters a lot. And being able to present ideas in cohesive ways and make conclusions that others can follow, that's an incredibly important skill set.
What do bakeries, industrial design, waterproof notebook paper, and investment management for cryptocurrencies have to do with each other? Hi, I'm Ryan Del Rosario, Assistant Director of Admission and School of Music Admission Coordinator. All four of the things I listed are businesses that were founded by entrepreneurial Puget Sound alums, and you can find out more at pugetsound.edu stories. Now back to P.S., the Puget Sound podcast. talking about some of the skills that carry over from Puget Sound and from formal education. You've mentioned writing and intellectual curiosity. Are there other things when you think back on your education that really stand out to you now as having been particularly valuable either directly or indirectly? Sure. I I would say for me, a liberal arts education was not just about intellectual curiosity and learning how to learn, but it was about broadening my understanding of the world Mm. and having studying things that I didn't know that I really didn't know anything about because I had never even scratched the surface of those topics. So it's one of the best things about a school like Puget Sound is the things that you need to take that don't fit within your intended measure. The things that really improve your understanding of life and the world in which we live. So that, I think, was an important part for me. Um, I also participated in Adelphians for three of the four years I was on campus, and that ended up being a really great musical part of my life. Um, So that was unexpected. I didn't come to Puget Sound with music in mind, but it was an important part of my time there. How did that come about? Did you come in knowing that you wanted to sing? Had you done choir in high school or? No. (laughs) (laughs) I sang in church choirs. That's about it. But uh, between freshman and sophomore year, I was, um, had met friends who sang in Adelphians and we planned to live together the next year. And they said, why don't you, um, why don't you try out? Why don't you uh, do an audition? Okay. And I got <laughs> about that. Ended up being a really great thing. And participated for the remainder of your time in college. If, yes. If, were there, if you think back to when you were starting, maybe even prior to arriving on campus at Puget Sound, did, did you have expectations? I mean, the Adolphians is a perfect example, right? That that was not something you had front of mind and then happened. Did you, were there things that you anticipated or knew you were looking for? Did you have a sense of what your major might be prior to arriving on campus? I'm kind of an odd case in that way. I planned to come to do a a major in economics and politics and government. I stuck with that. I have no regrets. And oddly enough, I work in fields that are very closely related to both of those things. Right. Um, But it was... The, let's see, I think your question was, did I plan that? I did, but it's the stuff I didn't plan where the richness came. And does that look for you like particular courses? You mentioned a moment ago the academic opportunities outside your primary areas. Where else did you wander? Historical developments of, of science concepts was an interesting, interesting course. Um, Things that I didn't realize that I needed, um, business calculus. Right. I'll be honest, I hated calculus. (laughs) But 
I really enjoyed the business aspect of it. Oddly enough, I use that in my career. Um, same thing with accounting. Um, it wasn't something I really wanted to take, and I use it every single day in managing a small business. So, Where did your interest in finance and government come from? Had you had exposure to those ideas and fields prior to coming to college? Yes. Um, I suppose finance and banking came about because one summer I just decided, you know, I'm tired of doing manual labor every summer between you know, junior, uh, junior high and high school and, and uh, applied for jobs in a bank. And I got one. Enjoyed the work, thought it was okay, thought it was good work. I also had an interest in politics. That interest has always continued, although the desire to serve in an elective role has waned considerably. I think there's a lot to be said for influencing and having uh, good conversations with people who do have the desire to serve in those ways. I would imagine understanding also, feeling like you can have an informed conversation. Yes, I agree. When you have moved on from Puget Sound in terms of where you spend your physical time, you were, I would say, not unusual, but notable as an alum who has remained very involved with the university. I'm curious about why. I think it would be easy to say that was a chapter of my life that did what it was there to do. I enjoyed it. And to set your gaze entirely forward what, what compels you to remain so involved with Puget Sound? A, a couple of things. Um, I grew up in a ministerial household. My dad was a United Methodist minister, and there's a historical connection to Puget Sound. But importantly, that may help to frame the financial aspect of my attendance there. Um, I came to Puget Sound and had what I believe to be a very first-rate education, thanks to the generosity of other people. And it's a pleasure to have some role in paying that forward. Um, it was important to me, and I think it's important to others to have that education opportunity. There's very little downside to uh, helping others uh, obtain a first-rate education. Um, I think there was a second part to your question. Well, I had asked about um, why remain involved. Sure. Um, some of my best friends came from Puget Sound, and so there are good memories associated with the place. And some of them also have the attitude that you described at the beginning. This was part of the chapter in my life, and I've moved on, and that was all great. And yes, I'll go back to a reunion someday, but... Um, so for me, there are good memories, but also there's the excitement of what's happening now. Where is Puget Sound going? How is it looking towards the future and what's it doing better now than when I attended? And there are many positive parts to that. Um, well, and you've actually set me up perfectly for my next question, which was to ask about how your sense of the institution has evolved over time. And I imagine some of that is because the institution itself is evolving and some is because your vantage point has changed. Yes. Uh, we enjoy as alumni and alumni to um, listening and um, hearing about the incoming class each year. I am convinced that every class subsequent to mine uh, has been better and better. 
Uh, I believe that's the warm area that you work. Is that right? In admissions? Absolutely correct. Yes. Uh, So that's exciting. It's nice to know that there's an ever increasing high caliber of people. Uh, One of the things that has impressed me is Puget Sound's increasing involvement with its own community. That's important to me. Um, I appreciated the listening that has taken place and led to the Leadership for a Changing World, um, where we're headed in the future, and how also how quickly Puget Sound has pivoted to from classroom learning to this interesting hybrid of online learning. I think there are great opportunities that will continue uh, using that platform, not only with students, but also with alumni, uh, to engage them and to be more directly connected. I work in fundraising and the idea of a face-to-face discussion is far superior to just the telephone or just an email. So there are exciting things happening there. Um, I see a university that sees its role as one that evolves and is evolving with its community and with the learning modalities and with the caliber of student who comes in. Those are a recipe for um, a very successful, long-term, viable university, and I'm proud to be affiliated with it. Recognizing the diversity of experiences under that umbrella, as you have watched the institution evolve and had an opportunity to get to know some of those subsequent classes and work with or talk with some students. Are there commonalities you notice? Is there something that seems to be a North Star for people in the alumni community, students that come to Puget Sound? I'm impressed with the continuing desire of Puget Sound students to learn and to engage in meaningful ways that are authentic. I, I, remember asking a graduating senior about their desire to have this discussion because they asked me a rather involved question. And I said, do you want me to give you the answer that you probably want would need for a test or for uh, just to complete this assignment? Or do you really want to learn? And without hesitation, they said, absolutely, I want to learn. I want to know. I want to understand this. Uh, That kind of desire and uh, real wish to succeed and to better oneself. That impresses me. Well, and one thing that's striking to me in hearing you describe that is, I think you might have used the word authenticity, but the, mm. there's this really true desire to to learn. And I would think if there were ever a time when someone would feel pressured to be performative, it's a, a conversation with you, right? Someone who has been connected to an accomplished alum, maybe in the field they're interested in, and there would maybe be a, a, an understandably human desire to fluff your feathers out a little bit and try to prove yourself. It's striking to me that what you've noticed about your interactions with Puget Sound students is almost the opposite, is a real authenticity around that idea of, I have questions, I want to engage with ideas. That's an okay thing to do. Absolutely. To me. Uh, One of the things I learned from really great teachers in a corporate environment, uh, one of them said to me, students can always spot a fake. And that is absolutely true. Um, And so I have 
whether intentionally or unintentionally, always tried to be as authentic as possible. And that has worked for me. That authenticity, therefore, also resonates with me when I see it in other people. Uh, it's pretty good quality. When you have those conversations, is there advice that you give students? Are there things that seem to come up over and over that you think are are useful to someone who is having this kind of liberal arts education and experience? Are there questions that seem to be hallmarks of those conversations? For students who are getting ready to enter the working world, sometimes they're concerned about which job to apply for. And my advice there would be, when it's the right job, you're going to know it. If you have already decided what that's going to be, then do everything you can to learn about that job. Get an internship there if you can. Meet people who do it. And honestly, a company that knew that you were really interested in a specific thing would be foolish not to hire you. They, they would just be incredibly short-sighted not to hire you. So of course you will get a job. Um, also, don't worry about the job if it is not a good fit. Sometimes success is just having a job or even searching for the right one. It's okay. You've got time. Um, that's one of those things that takes uh, many years and patience to realize. But if you can plant the seed and have them think about it for a while, that can be helpful. Someone said to me a few weeks ago, something I've been thinking about since, which was a career is mostly something you have looking backwards, not looking forwards. <laughs> when you look backwards, what is the narrative arc feel like to you? And, and where does your education fit in it? Hmm. As far as a narrative arc, there is a, a common theme that runs through it. And that is, there's honor in holding people accountable for following rules. Um, that's one of the things that financial sector supervisors do. And that theme has continued throughout, whether it's me being the enforcer and the evaluator, or the one who helps to understand why it's not followed exactly the way that I thought it might be. There's a lot of gray in financial supervision. Um, something else I didn't expect to learn. Sure. Um, there's also value in uh, providing skill sets for others. And a good consultant also works themselves out of a job. If they really do their job well, especially in development, um, one of the most rewarding, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I'll add a story here. One of the most rewarding assignments I had in my career was working closely with one central bank whose deputy governor decided it was time to rethink the way that they trained and um, developed their cadre of professionals. So over the course of about two and a half or three years, we evaluated what was happening, what needed to change, put in place a new curriculum, built the skill sets to design and deliver that curriculum, validated it, um, and also built the skill sets to re-evaluate and do it all over again when the time came, because a good curriculum has to evolve on a constant basis. So I don't have more work there, but those are really 
great memories and a sense of personal accomplishment associated with that assignment. of these conversations by asking everybody the same four questions. The first question is, where is your favorite place on campus? <laughs> there are many answers to that. Uh, <laughs> you know, it depends on what's going on. It could be in Schneebeck. It could be in um, the field house. It could be uh, something going on in a classroom. But I suppose I have to settle on in any quad on a sunny day in the grass, um, just kind of enjoying and hanging out. What are you reading right now? <laughs> um, I'm reading a book called The Iron Church. It's a historical uh, account of the place that I attend church in Victoria. And it's it starts really at the period when Victoria was a brand new city. So it's fascinating just to read about these names that I've only heard about from a distance. Another thing that I read recently, and this is not history, but more relevant uh, to my own life, is something called Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant by Roz Chast. It is about her aging parents and how it's both funny and also really serious in the challenges that lie ahead. My parents are both in their 80s. And I take their well-being very seriously. So those were interesting things. That's probably not a great answer for you know, bettering myself, but um, it's definitely relevant to my life. <laughs> uh, what is the best place to eat in Tacoma? I think there are some that still exist. Uh, when I was there, you know, on a budget, the Frisco Freeze. Still uh, there. E9 is always a good call. Places on the waterfront, you know, it depends on what you're in the mood for. Those are great choices. And to wrap up, why is Puget Sound special? Um, it's special because it's beautiful. It's safe. It is a teaching-oriented place with all kinds of opportunities for expanding one's own mind and sense of learning and wonder. Um, it's always fun to go back and see campus. And if anybody has not been in the last five or 10 years, wow, you know, you're in for a treat. It's, it's awesome. But it's special because it forms a, an important part of our lives and uh, forms us as individuals in a way that I think we can all be proud of. Well, Hefty, thank you for joining me this afternoon. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for the conversation. Thanks for listening to P.S., the Puget Sound podcast. If you're interested in applying to or visiting Puget Sound, you can find out more at pugetsound.edu slash admission. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at UNIV, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. I'm Elena Becker, and we'll see you next time for P.S., the Puget Sound podcast.